Hey, welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. I'm here with producer Jason. Today we're talking Female Friday. This is where you ask us your questions and we give you direct advice for your particular situation. Always a lot of fun, sometimes really funny, and always, hopefully, informative. All right, Jason, let's cut right to it. Jordan, I've always been the quiet one. I'm a 30-year-old introvert, but I enjoy being around people. My wife and I recently went to a dinner with some new friends. We've known them for a few months now, but this is maybe the third time we've all gotten together. This is the first double date with just the four of us. They've got three kids, and so do we. Dinner was a blast. We talked, laughed, shared stories, although on the drive home, my wife said, you didn't talk too much. I tend to internalize everything and formulate a response. It seems like everyone else at the table thinks out loud. By the time I've formulated a response, the conversation has moved on. My question is, how do I jump in without taking the conversation back in time and not seem so quiet or reserved? Signed, Andrew. So one thing, Andrew, that could help with this are improv classes because they're designed to help you learn and talk and sort of participate, if you will, on your feet. But I don't think you really need to focus on fixing this. Improv classes might give you a little bit more confidence when it comes to this, but I don't think you need to become some sort of improv master to learn conversation. So I'm going to I'm going to throw that out there but with the caveat that this isn't necessarily something that you need to get handled. I think it's great that you're introspective. That is really the strength of the introvert. You think about what you're saying before you say it, you're observing people, you're formulating a response. Guys like me, often we just blurt stuff out. And this is something that I've trained in myself because naturally I am also an introvert, which I know sounds kind of strange, but is actually quite true by the the definitions that are proffered these days of introvert. And, you know, I I don't necessarily always like the fact that I'm the first one to talk in certain situations. You can also control the conversation and bring it back to a certain topic. In other words, if you're formulating a response and you're thinking, oh, this is a worthwhile piece of uh, feedback or value that I wish I'd had two minutes ago or 30 seconds ago, don't worry that the conversation has moved on. Conversations are fluid. They're fluid by nature. Your input Here's the mindset you should have. Your input is more important than the timing. In other words, the thing you were going to say that you still are thinking, oh, it's too late to say that now. No, that is more important than, well, now we're talking about something slightly different or we've moved past that. You can just bring it on back. People are hanging out, man. This isn't a debate. It's not a legal proceeding. You know, you're not presenting something in a lecture that doesn't have to be linear. It's not a TED talk. Right. It's not a TED Talk. You know, you're also allowed to be quiet and just enjoy hanging out with other people. I think maybe your wife felt a little self-conscious or maybe she just made a comment and now you're feeling self-conscious about it. If you're worried that people don't like you after you hang out because you don't talk that much, here's what I would do. Here's what I actually do when I'm in that mood. Send a group email or a text afterward, and you could say, hey, guys, that was really fun. You can make a little joke or something. You can do some callback humor about the topics you talked about. And written communication, it gives you all the time in the world, so you can showcase your personality there, and then when you're in person, you can just focus on having a good time. You can just be in the moment then, because people aren't going to think, man, you know, Andrew, he's so boring. They're just thinking, oh, he's super funny, you know, but today he's being quiet. And it's okay if you're always quiet in person 
person because these people know you and they know that in written communication you're paying attention, you're fun, you're funny. You don't always have to be on, man. It's not a performance. You're just hanging out. So I think you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself and I think you're second guessing yourself a little bit in a way that is totally normal but not totally necessary. Hope that helps. And the other side of that is when you do speak, your words actually have more gravity because they're like, oh, he's actually speaking. Maybe we should listen. So there's the upside of that. Maybe we should shut up and listen. Exactly. Exactly. All right, next up. Hey, Jordan. I'm a 26-year-old South American journalist and graduate student. Although I'm always striving for more, the level-headed, self-compassionate me would say all I have is exactly what I ever wanted. Enough money and scholarships to get by for now, good people around me and opportunities that match my talents, and that's the problem. It's never enough. And that perfectionist side of me is now eating me inside and is out of control. Only a year ago, I was back in my home country in a job that seemed to be the best I could get at that stage of my career, at least for back home, and desperate to just get out. I have a background as a competitive athlete, so I had to learn, with a lot of suffering, that hitting the wall until it breaks was not the only M.O. one could apply in life in general. Besides that, the self-criticism and insecurity in my social interactions seemed to subside once I moved to a new place, but they came back in the past six months and I couldn't seem to shake it off. Either for underperforming at school, at any athletic endeavors, or at a social level, I beat myself harshly and I can still feel the pain. I left the U.S. at the end of last semester sick of everything and hating what I had become, fearing that I had ruined that place and that opportunity forever. I'm interning abroad this summer at one of the most prestigious outlets in the world, in my favorite city in the world, and the place I would like to call home one day. The idea was to heal my wounds through isolation, self-reflection, and rebuilding. But that plan has been interrupted by the same old insecurities and self-criticism that seem to permeate every endeavor I embark on. I've been having trouble sleeping for the past three weeks, which has only worsened my perception of what I do at work and how I do it, and the downward spiral only keeps going down. I've been going to therapy for three years, have all the understanding about why I'm like this, upbringing, very critical parents, and what to do about it, being nice to myself like I'd be to a friend. But any breakthrough in that regard only seems to last for so long before I resort to my old self-punishing self. Because of this, I've been getting psychological assistance on the phone, but it just does nothing and I'm growing a little desperate with the situation. Worst of all, I'm not even enjoying what would be living the dream under any other circumstance which makes me feel doubly guilty. Some doors are about to open at my current workplace, and I'm also deeply worried that I may be at the right time and right place, but underperforming and unable to get on that boat. Long letter, I know, but I'm running out of time. Any patience I was trying to have with myself is long gone. Thanks in advance. Concerned as F. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Concerned AF. That whole as f- <laughs> expression, that thing is just taken off, and I won't lie. I, I think when I talk to myself, I'm like, this is... AF and I even write AF in written communication because I don't want to I don't want to drop F-bombs all the time but it, it really man it's I don't know whatever it's really I, I think my favorite Twitter uh, replied nowadays is DGAF what does that even mean don't give a oh DGAF I don't, I don't know why I heard DJAF yeah DGAF <laughs> Yeah, I even say DGAF too, and Jenny hates it. Oh God, she yeah, hates I would it. smack you if you did that in person. I was like DGAF, she's like, uh, "LOL, Jordan, shut your face." Um, oh, that is that is so totes cray cray ridic ridic. <laughs> uh, all right, back to 
Back to helping other people. Look, you're doing all the right things. You've gone into therapy. You've found the root of the problem, which is the right information that you should be searching for. And it all comes down, well, uh, part of this comes down to self-care habits. And it sounds like you know you got to do the self-care thing, but this isn't just about remembering to do it. This is about doing it regularly. Regular workouts regular weekly massage or whatever you need to do. Workouts for sure. That's kind of mandatory because everybody needs exercise. But something like massage or a night out to dinner with your friends or a night out to dinner alone, for God's sake. Actually, I find going out to dinner alone is really cathartic and and fun and relaxing sometimes. Um, But that's just me. You should try it. Self-care for the win. Also, try volunteering. It might sound like there's just no way in hell that you'll have time for this with your job, right, and your career. But I think volunteering with kids, especially something that requires compassion, right, like tutoring underprivileged kids, etc., that'll help you build compassion for yourself as well. You will also find a sense of purpose there that you might not be getting at work. So start small. There's no need to volunteer 20 hours a week on something. Start with a few hours per week. And I think you might really find some serious value in helping others since what you're doing for yourself isn't fulfilling. So keep us posted. I'd love to know how this shakes out for you because I really think I I know what you're going through here. I think that making yourself the focus of some self-care while making others the focus of some really just completely, well, almost completely altruistic volunteering will help show you the level of compassion that you need to have for yourself. And it'll, it'll give you a little bit of permission. And I'm giving you permission to engage in that. So please keep in touch. Let us know how that goes. I really think this is something that you can work out and you can solve. And I think that your parenting has led you here, but now you're going to fix it. Uh, I really think it's possible, and I really think you can do it. I really think it's not going to be that hard. It just might take a while. And just a note uh, this week, there's a lot of feedback from people disagreeing with coaches. They're disagreeing with the scientists. They're disagreeing with the executives and the other high performers that we have on the show about things like the value of coaching. And I see this online a lot. You know, people are talking about, oh, well, you know, this coach is a scam. Getting a trainer is a scam. Getting a coach for this is a scam. I get it. I was resistant to try coaching as well. It took me it took me years to realize that the best people in any field, they always have multiple coaches of all kinds. Trying to go it alone, that's just really it's an ego thing. It's it's something a moron would pursue for longer than it took to realize that there was coaching available to level up in any given field. It's 100% when people are like I would just want to figure this out for myself. Pure ego, totally going to trip over your own feet completely ridiculous mindset to have. It just took me way too long to realize this. I wish I understood the value of coaching early, 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 and just had put the ego BS aside early on. And uh, my friend John Romaniello, he put it best. Jason, you want to take it away with John Romaniello? He posted this on Facebook. I thought it was brilliant. If someone you really trusted assured you that using a butt plug would increase your productivity output by 10%, With no negative effect on quality, you'd be stretching your ass by Friday. But when you hear from multiple high-level sources you trust and respect that the number one force multiplier for your fitness, business, productivity, writing is to hire a goddamn coach, y'all just ignore it. I get it. Hiring a coach is scary. Trusting someone with your business is scary. You never know who's legit and who's just after your aforementioned butthole. 
But the fact is, if you avoid this integral decision because you're afraid of getting f***ed over, you ultimately just wind up f***ing yourself. So, find someone you trust and let them gently guide you to glory. Though perhaps I'm stretching the analogy a bit too far. Just kidding, butt stuff for the win. That's classic Jean Romaniello right there, but it's so true. Yeah, hiring a coach is a little scary. Oh, gee, there, there's a slight chance I might run into something where I waste my time or maybe even I get ripped off. Oh, no, I guess I should just never, ever, ever do it. If you thought that way about anything else in your life, you would be screwed. Relationships, right? making friends, new careers, new sports and physical activities. What the hell? No, but people who think like that in those areas are losers. So you're doing this with coaching. What do you think that puts you? Where do you think that puts you? Come on, people. Get coaches, for God's sake. It's such a great way to get ahead. It's it's unbelievable. I, we have coaches of all kinds here at AOC. We're always doing broadcast coaching, vocal coaching, trainers. I mean, it's just it's magical. Whatever you can afford. And now with all these things online, with these like tutors on all these apps and things like that, coach.me, there's so many places to learn for cheap. There's no more excuses, frankly. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze your online marketing campaigns. And sign up today for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. And now a quick message from our newest sponsor. Remember, supporting our sponsors is the best way to support the show. That's right. AJ, did you know socks, tees, and underwear are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? I had absolutely no idea. Bombas knows, and they're doing something about it, making ridiculously comfortable versions of all three and donating one for every item sold. With all the clothing brands out there, it's nice to find some basics that don't just feel good, but do good too. That is completely amazing, and that's why we're so excited to be working with our newest sponsor, Bombas. To date, Bombas, one purchase equals one donated commitment, has helped customers donate over 100 million essential clothing items to people facing homelessness. That's a lot of good done by people just buying the Bombas they wear every day. Visit bombas.com charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. 
And once you try Bombas, you'll know why so many people have purchased and donated so many. The comfort geniuses at Bombas work tirelessly to make your everyday things your favorite things. Whether there's an arch-supporting sock that feels like it was sculpted to your foot, a buttery soft tee with no itchy tag, or underwear that feels like nothing while supporting everything. The best part, AJ, Bombas has a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you got the wrong size, your dog chews up your socks, or a pair vanishes in the washing machine, and you know they will, it's easy to get a free return, exchange, or replacement. There's nothing worse than when Puppers gets a hold of my favorite Bombas athletic socks. They're precision engineered for being active with sweat wicking power, impact cushioning, blister defense, and no annoying toe seams that get between you and your goals. I try to limit my essential purchases to one time a year, and I was so pumped to know that Bombas has my underwear, socks, and tees needs completely covered. I have been loving the soft underwear and tees here in Medellin. Ready to get comfy and give back? Head over to bombas.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash charm. And use code charm at checkout. All right, Jason, next up. Hi, Jordan. I heard you mention several times that you consume a lot of books and info. I, too, consume tons of information, some of it for work and some for personal development. Sometimes I feel like I'm drinking from a fire hose in regards to how much information I consume versus how much I can actually use or put into action. I find myself feeling like an information swamp. I collect and consume information, but do not let it all flow through me to others or take action on much of it. It's overwhelming. I'm someone who envisions what I could do or create with that info and knowledge, but I don't. I was recently promoted to a position at work as a subject matter expert. I keep up to date with the info and science in four different areas, and then our learning and development team delivers the content to 2,700 plus skilled technician employees. On my own time, I also consume info related to self-help and professional development related to learning and development tools and skills. It gets to be overwhelming at times. Sometimes I feel I lose focus or get pulled in too many directions to build expertise in any area. Obviously, if I'm being paid as a subject matter expert, I can't let those areas of knowledge slip, and I love that stuff anyways. It's cool getting to be both a geek and a nerd for a living. A coworker lovingly said that if I'm consuming so much info that at some point it just becomes entertainment. I feel like it's almost an addiction in entertainment more than actual learning going on a lot of the time. I'm looking for ways to stay sane while always learning and improving. It would be very appreciated and awesome if you could please share your best systems and strategies for processing and putting into action all the info you consume. Thanks in advance. Swamped in Life's Library. Yeah, you are right, uh, Swamped in Life's Library. It is entertainment a lot of the time, but it is worthwhile because even if what you're doing is 90% or 95% entertainment and only 5% learning, it's better than the empty calories of something that's ill-presented that is purely entertainment, unless you know, you're know you really looking for just entertainment itself and you don't care about learning. But I feel you, there's this compulsion for me also to always be reading something or listening to an educational podcast and stuff like that. And I just think it's really worthwhile and I like hearing from smart people, even if that might just be because it's entertaining while I'm doing something else. So here's what I do in order to avoid driving myself crazy with that particular train of thought. 
I focus on specific topics and I do deep dives. So I might read three books about ISIS and listen to podcasts by those authors. And I might read a bunch of news and articles in The Atlantic or in other news sources that go in depth, like The New Yorker, about those topics as well. Russia, ISIS are two ones I, I tried lately that I got really into. I also get breadth of information. And then I pick things that I'm interested in to do the deep dive. So I didn't think like, wow, I'm really interested in ISIS. I just wondered, geez, what is with all these weirdos going over to ISIS and they're from Germany or they're from Austria or they're from America? I mean, who are these people? And I started thinking, okay, they're seemingly normal. How are they getting recruited? Oh, okay. Well, oh, there's this other guy that knows a lot about ISIS and he wrote a book about it. Well, let's see if he knows how they recruit. All right, let's talk with him via email. All right, let's read his book. I just go down the rabbit hole about things that I'm interested in. I don't pick up 10 books on Russia and go... All right, I guess I'll read all these now. That's not how it works. And I'll take notes and I'll review things that I've learned. And doing the show, frankly, is one of the ways in which I do that. I read a book. I take a bunch of notes on the book. Then I have a conversation with the author. That's a really good learning process for me. And I hope that it's a good learning process for you in reverse. You listen to the conversation with the author. Maybe then you go out and you get interested in something. And then you pick up those books. And then you read and you're able to get more educated on those topics. That's one of the major purposes of this show here. Also, teach the topics to others. You can do webinars at work or you can do live seminars if these topics are things that other people might find value in. Obviously, my platform for this is this podcast, the Art of Charm podcast, and it doesn't even matter who shows up. You know, you could, to these lectures or these webinars, you could also create little lectures and you could videotape them for use online for your company or a YouTube channel. Follow your interests. That way it won't constantly feel like work. Prepping for the show very rarely feels like hard work. It is hard work because there's a lot going on, but very rarely am I slogging through something. And in fact, that's a pretty good sort of uh, barometer, if I feel like, oh, I got to finish this book, I usually just cancel the show because I, I was going to say that at that point then you go, Jason, cancel, cancel this one. <laughs> yeah, this one yep. not going to happen. And you got to realize, look, swamped, you are not on any particular timeline to get, quote unquote, all the info. You got to realize you're never going to be full and complete on any given topic. I've read four or five books just about Vladimir Putin. There's a lot of overlap on each one. But since those were written, there's a year, year and a half worth of news that's not included in there that shapes him, right? Or shapes Russia or shapes ISIS. So unless you're researching something every single day and you're in constant touch with all of the thought leaders on a particular topic, in other words, unless you're a cutting edge expert on that topic, which is like your job, you're never going to be have full and complete information. And that's okay. This is not something that you need to do. So you're on you have as much time as you want to dabble. And there's value to dabbling. What do you think, Jason? You know, I, I am so on board with everything you said, but I also advocate taking some time to just relax and not consume. I like to cleanse my palate every now and again with some mindless fiction. You know, just something that you can just escape into that is not in the area of what you're studying all the time because you are a subject matter expert and you do have to maintain focus a lot of the time for the 2,700 plus employees that you're doing briefings for. I get that. That is stressful. And plus you're doing it for yourself. So just sometimes take a break, you know, 
because you can get self-development hangovers. I've gotten them working here at the Art of Charms. Like when we're doing like Jordan, like if we're doing seven shows in a week and we got to read seven books, whoo, you know, sometimes then I just like to go get me a John le Carre novel and, and talk, deal with some British spies and forget it all. Because if you don't empty the bucket every now and again, you'll never be able to fill it up. Amen to that. Yeah, emptying the bucket is important. Let your brain empty out. That's a tr- I, I'm ch- challenged by that. I don't like to do that, but I know it's necessary. I don't love doing that. I don't love, you know, taking a pause because I do feel that pull. But sometimes it, what it takes is a good fiction novel or a couple of days just staring at nothing and hanging out with friends to feel like that pull is no longer so strong, right? I'm not getting magnetized, feeling like, I got so much to do. It's like, actually, I have a lot to do, but it's not that urgent, right? I need that break cognitively, and I think you do too. All right, next up. Hi, Jason Jordan and AOC crew. At the risk of sounding cliche, I first want to say thank you for what you guys do. I know everyone says that in their emails to you, and I hope you guys haven't become desensitized because you truly provide a fantastic, valuable service that I've not encountered anywhere else. I work for the IRS. Before I get into my question, I feel like I need to explain what the audit process is. I meet with taxpayers and interview them about their business history, operations, bookkeeping procedures, and overall financial status. I then review their books and records to determine whether any adjustments are warranted. If I propose an adjustment in the government's favor, I have to explain why to the taxpayer or their representative. If I propose adjustments that the taxpayer or representative don't agree with, I may have to cite the Internal Revenue Code, Treasury regulations, and or court cases to explain in more detail the reason why my adjustment is correct and hopefully persuade them into an agreement. If we still can't come to an agreement by the end of the process, I prepare a write-up of the issue to be used to protect the government's interests in the appeals process. So on to my question. I'm a detail-oriented person by nature. Having grown up a middle child, I'm also a peacemaker and like to hear all sides of the story, in great detail of course, in order to feel informed enough to give advice or make a decision. Jordan, I think that my job and your law background have similar aspects. I have to interview taxpayers regarding their businesses, watch for body language and vocal markers, and listen for and recognize contradicting or illogical statements that might indicate that I should dig deeper in the interview or in the books and records. I have to research code, regulations, and court cases to make a decision on whether to make adjustments. If I decide an adjustment is warranted, I propose the adjustment to the taxpayer or rep and make my argument verbally. Even when I have code or cases supporting my position, I often have to debate with the taxpayer or rep about the interpretation of the code and or law and how it should be applied. Because I'm so detail-oriented, I want to make sure I have as much knowledge about the issue and the facts and circumstances of the immediate case before making a decision. This often sends me down a rabbit hole of researching an issue for hours and sometimes days. Because of my tendency to want every last detail that could possibly affect my decision before I make a determination, I have difficulty assessing the entire situation in the moment. For example, when I first propose my adjustments and have to debate it with a taxpayer or rep, if they bring an argument that I'm not prepared for, instead of considering how their argument can change or not change my position, I immediately shut down because I want to go back and do more research to see if they picked up on something that I missed. I'm great at writing up my position so tight that there's no wiggle room at the end of an exam, but ideally I want to be able to avoid having to do an appeals write-up at all by being more efficient in the initial proposal and debate process. Ironically, we agents don't actually receive training in how to effectively and successfully debate our position, and I have little natural skill in this area. So my questions are, 
How can I become better at thinking on my feet in considering counter-arguments, identifying logical fallacies in an argument, both their argument and my own, and debating my position in the moment? Any other information you think would be helpful would, of course, be appreciated. Another issue that I've had in my job is that when I'm dealing with older gentlemen, reps in particular, whether they're attorneys or CPAs or accountants, I'm often condescended to or dismissed likely because I'm a young female and what old male wants a young female telling them that they're wrong. Furthermore, I project an assertive and authoritative presence. I was like this before I started working for the IRS. It's who I am professionally. And people just don't respond well to an authoritative female. My coworkers have suggested playing dumb because the reps will feel more comfortable talking about certain relevant information that they might not otherwise disclose. But I can't play dumb. First of all, I'm not dumb. Second, I feel that playing dumb perpetuates the idea that females are intellectually inferior to males. Third, I'm a terrible actor and would have a very hard time pretending to be incompetent. Any suggestions on how to remain assertive and authoritative while also being disarming? Again, thanks for doing what you do. You guys are the best. P.S. Please don't use my real name. There are crazy people who hate the IRS who might try to look me up. What? There are people who don't like the IRS? Even the auditing department? I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Anyway, you're right, of course. Don't play dumb. Don't play dumb at work. You don't have to, and that's not who you are. And let me address your very orderly letter here, point by point. You clearly do work for the IRS. Uh, How can I become more efficient in my research and decision-making habits? If you're doing research, you should cap yourself at a maximum amount of time. Don't do that in the moment. Think like, okay, I'm going to spend an hour doing this. If you're still digging up amazing information after an hour, you can extend it. But cap it at at least, you know, most, I say an hour, usually half that amount of time. This is what I did as a lawyer. You'll seldom be complete. But if IRS research is anything like legal research, after a certain point in time, you're coming up pretty darn dry or you're seeing the same info over and over again and it's time to stop. As for decisions, you don't have to make these decisions instantly. You are not an athlete. You are not a CEO. You can take your time and you should. I think there's a lot of pressure to have the right answer right away. You're feeling it, but you're putting that pressure on yourself. No client or I would imagine your manager and especially the people you're working with auditing here at the IRS. Yeah, they want an answer right away. You don't owe them that. And it's a bummer. You owe them that when it comes to something that you should know, policy, rules, maybe a timeline, but you don't owe them a decision based on information they just gave you right away. That's ridiculous. They're feeling nervous, but don't take that anxiety on yourself. Number two, how can I become better at thinking on my feet into considering counter arguments, identifying logical fallacies in an argument, both in their argument and my own, and debating my position in the moment? This is a great question. I'm okay at this now, thinking on my feet. It took me years. I've been doing this show for a decade. You can listen to other people, and you can see what comes to mind. You'll get better over time if you're listening instead of thinking about how you're going to research and prove them wrong. And this is kind of counterintuitive, right? If you're just thinking, all right, well, I'm going to look in this source and that's going to prove you. If you listen to them, things will come to you much faster than if you're planning ahead. And I know that's weird, but you really don't have to play chess with people when it comes to this stuff. Stuff comes up spontaneously and you got to trust your gut. That said, again, you have time on your side. 
So I'd recommend not trying to debate people in the moment. If they've come prepared to deny something or they've come prepared to debate something or play dumb, you're at a disadvantage. Lawyers only debate in real time on television, almost exclusively. Sure, there's times when they would might be negotiate or something like that, but generally, lawyers only debate in real time on TV. Usually, we go back to the drawing board, we go back and research a ton before we hash things out in a courtroom. You have all the time you need to go back and look for the answer. You don't have to have it in the moment, just like I said before, nor do you need to pretend like you do. I feel like maybe you feel the need to pretend like you do, but you really don't. It's You're putting some sort of self-judgment like, well, if I don't know this, there's something wrong with me or I'm not good at my job. And that's just not true. Last but not least, to find people's counter arguments or to find logical fallacies in your own arguments, once you've formulated your argument, argue against your own points. You'll find almost all the holes that way. This is because you're literally thinking from the other party's perspective after fully informing yourself about your own position. In other words, you're you're really going to be the best at arguing against yourself because you just formulated all of the research to make one argument, and now you're going to argue against that. The other person is almost surely not doing that. So if you argue against your own point, you're going to find pretty much all of their arguments and you're going to find more, which means that once you've heard all their arguments and you figured out, okay, well, there's no surprises here and you already know what you're going to say when they say it, you're going to find that when they come to the table and they don't bring up everything that you just thought of, you're going to be like, amateur, there's almost no way they're going to find the same amount of holes that you are. And if they do, you can just say, huh, interesting. All right, I'm going to go back and see what to do with that. You don't have to have an answer right away. So you'll find almost all the holes that way because you're thinking from their perspective and your opponents will almost never be this prepared, which gives you a huge advantage. So I hope all that helps. These are really great questions and you're clearly an analytical thinker, which is uh, something I really admire. All right, next up, Jason. Hi guys, I'm a huge fan of the show. You guys are doing a great job. My name is Robin and I am a Canadian speech and language pathologist who works in Detroit. I'm very familiar with the differences among various accents in the USA. Jordan, if you hadn't said that you were from Michigan, I wouldn't have known. You don't have a Michigan accent. Just curious, did you receive accent reduction from a speech and language pathologist? Thanks again for all that you do. Robin. Well, Robin, my mom is a speech and language pathologist, but to my knowledge, I never got accent reduction. I think what really happened was I moved a lot as an adult. You know, when I was in college, I well, even in high school, I moved to Germany. So I was around people who didn't speak English that much. And I watched, you know, media. And then when I was an adult, I, moved, I went to college and I moved away to New York and I went to L.A. And I went here and there, Ukraine, all these other countries. And then I went into broadcasting. And before that, I was watching lots of TV, listening to the radio all the time, imitating people on TV, imitating people on the radio. So I'm not sure why this would be the case. Otherwise, I have no accent. I even hear it. My wife, Jen, she always goes, man, your dad talks this way and your family talks that way and your friends from Michigan, they talk this way and you don't do that. I'm currently taking voice and doing some accent reduction, but man, it's pretty minimal. I just started to. So any episodes you've heard in the past that are older, they wouldn't have my my new voice or my new accent. And some of the things that she's removing from my voice are really very minor. 
But uh, you're probably hearing those because you are a speech and language pathologist. But no, I haven't done any accent reduction training. And I think a lot of broadcasters have not. I think we just listen to and consume a lot of media. And we probably do a lot of imitations. And those things tend to go away. That said, I still do say something in Michigan accent here and there. And you, you might catch it here and there on the show. All right, Jason. Last but not least. Dear Jordan, I'm a 27-year-old male who just moved back to the U.S. from Europe about six months ago. About a year ago, I ran into a great opportunity to advance my career. It was a really obvious choice to make, and it had me moving back to the States at the end of 2016. All of my friends in Europe were bummed to see me leave, but were still very supportive and happy for the new chapter in my life. Except for one guy. Let's call him Bill. I've been close friends with Bill for over three years, which was basically my entire time in Europe. He was also one of the first people I told about my new opportunity. He was very negative towards it and couldn't find a way to be happy for me. During the four months or so I had left in Europe, we still hung out and also worked a lot together, but he kept questioning my decision to move back. At first, I thought he'd get over it, but if anything, his behavior got progressively worse, and he was really starting to act like a clingy girlfriend. While all of this was happening, I was doing my best to focus on my move, my future, and self-improvement. Thanks, AOC. Which led me to feeling that I was starting to outgrow him. It was very frustrating, so I tried to distance myself from Bill the last month I was there, but I don't think he got the hint. I decided to cut ties with him when I moved back to the U.S. and have been ignoring his messages and emails. I realize this isn't the nicest and certainly not the best way to end a friendship, but I decided to do it this way because even though he can be a nice guy, he has too much ego to accept criticism towards his character or behavior, and I really couldn't see myself telling him, hey, I think our friendship has turned really toxic for me, without him getting very angry. Here's where it gets tricky. My former roommate is a mutual friend of ours. Towards the end of my time in Europe, my roommate started to get closer with Bill. Let's call my old roommate Charlie. So when I moved back to the U.S., I was avoiding Bill at all costs while still trying to be in touch with Charlie. As you can guess, this led to Charlie asking me, Hey man, what's going on? Why aren't you answering any of Bill's messages? Bill sent me around eight messages over the course of the six months since I left, and he's also gotten mutual friends to send me messages and pictures with him in it to try and get my attention. So one night, I chatted with Charlie on Skype and told him everything that I'd experienced. I told him that it was a tough thing to do, but I had to cut ties with Bill in order to respect my emotional health and personal growth. Unfortunately, Charlie couldn't understand my side of the story and thought what I did was unnecessary and that I should have been nicer. Another thing that shocked me was that he couldn't relate to my outgrowing friend's experience since it's apparently never happened to him, even though he's a decade older than me. So now Charlie decided that he can't be friends with me just because I decided that my friendship with Bill turned toxic. So my question is, if I find myself in this situation again in the future, what's the best way to deal with a friend that can't be happy for my opportunity or success? Also, was the way I dealt with it completely out of line, or is Charlie being blinded by his new friendship with Bill? Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Sincerely, Claymore. Hey, Claymore, get ahead of this stuff next time. So be more upfront if you think there might be a fallout like this, and there often is a fallout like this. I mean, it's fallout in friendships and, and or friendships when they end, man, it can always be messy, but ask what the deal is. You know, if someone's treating you poorly, just get ahead of it. Ask what the deal is. Be upfront with the person doing it so they know the score. And it sounds like you handled it well for the most part. This other guy is doing what's natural. You know, he's your roommate. He's taking Bill's side because they're closer physically. They hang out more. 
So your options now are to apologize and move on or just to move on. It sounds like, frankly, you've outgrown both of these guys. Although you don't have to cut off Charlie if you don't want to. If he cuts you off, look, man, that's his loss. He sounds pretty immature, if you ask me. If he's 10 years older than you and he's, he's trying to get in the middle of drama between you and this other person, it's like none of your business, man. And in the future, just be more selective with the people in your life and the behavior that you tolerate from others. You don't have to get angry, you don't have to get upset or confrontational, but putting your cards on the table is often a great way to let people know that you're hearing them, but you just don't want to play their game. And often this is enough to get people to see their own behavior and either knock it off or force them to make a decision about whether or not they want to be friends. So if this guy is like treating you, you know, passive aggressive and all this stuff, like you mentioned before, you can just say, hey, man, you know, I'm not really digging it. I'm leaving. I'm trying to make the best of my time that I have left here. And I feel like you're kind of being a little bit of a jerk about it. And I'm just not into that, man. If you want to hang out before I leave, cool, but just knock it off. Like it's not helping and it's not funny and it's not cool. And, and that'll just force them to sort of draw a line. Just draw that line in the sand. It'll be awkward only at first. And then often they'll just be like, Oh, fine. Okay. Or they won't stop and you just go great. Not wasting any more time with this knucklehead Peace. Last but not least, Some of the stuff in your letter made me feel a little creepy crawly. The stuff Bill's doing seems a little needy, like you mentioned. It seems like maybe his feelings are really hurt, but I I don't... Am I not getting the full story here? The way he acted before you left, your comment about him acting like a clingy girlfriend, plus the fact that he's getting friends involved and he's showing up in pictures of your friends, it sounds a little... That was very creepy. That that was just like, what's he doing? Yeah, man. It sounds a little bit like he doesn't just want to be your friend, if you catch my drift here. Am I the only one getting that vibe? Oh. (laughs) Yeah. No, you're not. It's It's a little bit unusual for guys who just work together to be that way. There's something else going on here, I think. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm just throwing that out there. I, I don't have any more evidence for it other than it's weird. It's a little weird. It's over the yeah. it's over the line of personal boundary. I don't know. You're from Europe. Maybe it's different over there, whatever country you're from. But that to me, just that was just strange. All right. Documentary of the week. Jason, you got one. I do. I watched all the documentaries that you've been recommending, and I needed a break. So I went to Netflix. A cognitive break from all the death and destruction? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cries from Syria, and then I uh, watched The White Helmet, and... Crazy dreams, but man, those were some amazing documentaries. If you haven't watched uh, watched those documentaries, check out the other Fan Mail Fridays for Jordan's recommendations. They're amazing. So I went uh, to Netflix and I found Happy People, A Year in the Taiga by Werner Herzog, the famed documentarian. Now, this was actually not done by him. It was a four-hour documentary that he took over and cut down to like 90-some minutes. But it's about this village in Siberia where these guys basically are trappers and they spend most of the year out in the woods by themselves with their dogs and they're extraordinarily happy. And I just really kind of, I kind of dug this as a palate cleanser as it were. Nice. I'll have to check that out. Hope you all enjoyed that. Don't forget, you can email us Friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. I keep everyone anonymous, so you can either make up your own funny name or we can do it, of course. And if it's feedback for the show or for us, we're fans of strong opinions loosely held. We love to argue like we're right, but of course we listen like we are wrong. So don't be shy to hit us up over here. And if you've got your own advice for some of the people who you've heard from today, let me know. I'd love to share that. And if it's something that can help everyone, I may read it on the show. A link to the show notes for this episode can be found at theartofcharm.com slash FMF125. 
And if you're listening to AOC in the Overcast player for iPhone, please click that little star icon. It helps in our listings and introduces new people to the show. Right now, we are the number one most recommended show in Overcast, which is cool. Yeah, not bad. Woohoo! Quick shout out to Dr. Frida T. I'm going to leave her a little private here because I didn't ask her if I could do this. But she found out she was pregnant while she was listening to AOC. Wow. <laughs> yeah. See, that's how powerful this podcast is. You listen so good, you can get pregnant. So be careful. <laughs> be careful how hard you listen here. Congrats, Frida. Now you have to name the baby Jordan. Good thing the name is unisex. And I've got a shout out this week to Marie St-Pierre from Montreal, who heard our episode with Commander Chris Hadfield and actually sent me a box of legit, I mean, these are legit Canadian maple cookies. That's fine, Marie. You don't have to send me anything. Thanks for thinking of me, though. I've never had a maple cookie. That's fine. Yeah, but you got ice. You got ice trays last That's week. That's true. I did. So get I can ice get trays. some maple cookies. You get ice trays. I get. Maple I did cookies. get ice trays. I win. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Are you in a strange land like Canada, listening to my familiar voice? <laughs> if so, our familiar voices actually. If so, hit me up. I'll shout you out. I'd love to hear from you either way. I'm on Twitter at the Art of Charm. It's a great way to engage with the show. Jason, you're on the Twitter. I'm on Twitter at JPDef, that's J-P-D-E-F, and you can also catch my podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks, every Monday. We're in iTunes, or go to GOG.show to find out more. Also, don't forget about the Art of Charm Challenge. Text AOC, that's AOC, to 38470, AOC to 38470 in the U.S., or go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge, taking you step-by-step, becoming better at making personal and professional connections, becoming a better networker, increasing your social capital, increasing that charisma. It's for both guys and gals, so check that out. That's AOC to 38470, or go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. More from AOC at theartofcharm.com, including info on our live residential boot camps that we run every single week here in L.A. If you really want to dig into this stuff and work on your AOC skills with us as your coaches, that's at theartofcharm.com slash boot camp, and we accept cryptocurrency. Now stay charming, get out there and connect, and leave everyone better than you found them. 